one bridge. I want two bridges. <laughs> now you're sounding like Katie. <laughs> My appreciation to our worship team this morning. You know, we're, we're without some of our starters today, right? They're away. So the next in line gets up and uh, ministers to God. You need to understand that worship is ultimately a ministry to God. We worship Him. We stand or sit before Him. And our desire is to please Him. So it's good to see some faces that uh, we don't often see up here, but wasn't it blessed, a blessed time for us just to worship together? Yeah, different jersey numbers, but the same God and the same blessing to lift our hearts to him. Had somebody see me yesterday from our church family and said, oh, I see that you're going to be back in the saddle again tomorrow. And somebody else, when I walked in this morning, said, Oh, I see you're going to be back in the saddle today. And I said to him, That's a scary thought because you've never seen me on top of a horse. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it up there. Uh, and uh, after having not been here in this place since, I guess, the first of the year, uh, you say, Well, Good grief, isn't preaching kind of like riding a bike? You know how to do it, and then you just get up and do it. I got, a, I got news for you. The Lord keeps uh, not haunting me, but reminding me over and over again of 1 Peter 4.10. Let him who speaks, let him speak as if he is saying the very words of God. And if that doesn't scare your skin off, nothing should. I'm standing in Christ's place beseeching men to be reconciled to God and that ain't like riding the bike. I say that because I hope you do what I try to do every time I listen to somebody preach that's pray for them while they are preaching. Because you, you don't need to hear from me. You need to hear what God has to say. And it is absolutely humbling and... and uh, I'm not petrified. If I was petrified, I'd leave, and I'm supposed to be preaching against fear this morning. <laughs> I want the very words of God to come through. By the way, what are you afraid of? I'm not asking anybody to stand up or raise their hand, but uh, perhaps it's the fear of public speaking. <laughs> I think the internet would say that that's the greatest, that's the most. Uh, widespread fear there is, the fear of getting up in front of a bunch of people and speaking. Maybe, maybe you uh, have a fear of meeting new people. Maybe a fear of being alone or being in the dark. You have a fear of confronting somebody verbally when there's a need for rebuke or confession. 
Perhaps you fear inviting a friend or neighbor to VBS. I'm picking up on what you said, Pastor Dave. Perhaps you have a fear of death, as we've mentioned, and as we understand it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Our dear, dear sister, Diane, did not face condemnation at her death. It was reunion. It was seeing Jesus. I checked out Google and found a listing. You can't, I couldn't believe it. It said 125, well, I, I, had to, I had to count them, but they said these are common phobias. 125 common phobias. I read through the list, not each one, but most of them I couldn't pronounce. They had phobia at the end. I could get that part of it. But I, I could understand the explanation. The fear of heights, the fear of flying, the fear of small places, the fear of crowded places, the fear of bacteria, that's a good one, the fear of blood, don't be a nurse if you have that fear. Probably good not to be a mother either, but I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Fear of blood, fear of riding in a car, can you believe that? You've heard of the fear of spiders. I'm not, not sure if the one that I'm afraid of, uh, that, that I am consciously afraid of, is, is even in the list, and that's the fear of snakes. Just don't like those things. You may have a pet snake. May God be with you. <laughs> don't let it out. Did you hear that? Hey, whoever said that, amen. Amen. I think the beginning uh, of this series, Fearlessness, and this is the last message in that series, we ought to be sure that we own up to the fact that we do fear certain things. We have fear, and we need to learn how to face it. I've heard this on a number of occasions that there are 365 mentions in the Bible, Old and New Testament, of either the words, fear not, or do not be afraid. I haven't counted them. I didn't have time to read through the whole Bible this past week. But I believe it. I've heard it many times. 365, and obviously the point was made, you've got one for every day of the year. Why does God pay such repeated attention to the fact, don't be afraid, don't fear? Here's my take on it. My understanding of that thought or that reality is, in my judgment, it's because of the, that what, to me, one of the greatest enemies of a walk by faith. Isn't that what God says? That's how we're supposed to live? We walk by faith, not by sight. One of the greatest enemies and hindrances to a walk of faith is fear. We're afraid to trust God for our future. We're afraid to risk doing the will of God for fear of what might happen to us. We're fearful of standing against evil and unrighteousness and suffering the consequences we fear. I think I live with fear more than I realize. I might just say, well, I, I've, got a, I've got an anxious spirit and I caught it from my mother because she worried about everything. Fear 
is an enemy. It's an enemy and a hindrance to the walk of faith. This is probably not the best definition of fear, but I read an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something, that something might be circumstances, someone or something is likely to cause me pain or threaten me. What struck me about that definition is that it has to do with the fact that fear is caused by what we believe, by what we believe. We have a problem with fear because of what we believe. The cure for fear is likewise what we believe. Now before we look at the background of our passage this morning from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, let's bow for prayer. Father, I used to listen to Steve Brown on the radio. He began every program with words similar to this. He said, Father, bless the preacher. They call him reverend, and he is not. I am just a messenger. I pray that I won't get in the way of what you once said today. I thank you for the the songs and hymns that were chosen today that talked about fear. That which introduced the subject And Father, that which we need to learn today is how to face it. How to face it, how to overcome it. Father, we want to hear the very words of God. And we pray that we will will listen, filled and controlled by your Spirit. And I will speak, filled and controlled by your Spirit. Help us in these coming minutes, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Timothy, uh, and you said, don't, don't, don't be frightened. Don't be fearful, okay? I'm going to say some comments about First and Second Timothy, but I'm not preaching First and Second Timothy. I'm trying to get a context for what we read in Second Timothy 1, and we need to understand that Timothy was a protege of Paul. You may not see that word in Scripture because it's not there. But protege is a good word. Protégé is, is uh, someone who has been guided and supported by an elder, more experienced person, a protégé. We meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and Paul takes him along on the missionary journey. And a relationship started that, that became what? He called Timothy his, his beloved child in the faith. I'm like a father to a son to this boy. Very significant in Timothy's life because his father, his earthly father, was a Gentile. There's no evidence in Scripture that would say his father was a Christian. His grandmother and his mother were. But Paul became what? The man in his life, the father that he didn't have. He was pastor of probably what I think was the largest church that we read about in the New Testament the church at Ephesus. Much more than Paul's pupil, he was Paul's beloved son, his beloved child. You read it in 1 Timothy 1-2, 2 Timothy 1-2. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. Who did he write his last letter to? Timothy, his beloved son. 
The time of his departure had come, 2 Timothy 4, 6. His concern for, his, his, his concern for Timothy is that his fear could and would derail him from fulfilling his calling. When we look at 2 Timothy 1.7, which is a verse that most of us are familiar with, many of us are familiar with, God has not given us a spirit of fear, better translated a spirit of cowardice, but of what? Power, love, and self-control or self-discipline, a sound mind. God did not give us a spirit of fear. The bottom line of the paragraph we're going to look at is that. He hasn't given us that spirit. What was Timothy afraid of? I think, by implication, and my mind was kind of drawn to 1 Timothy 4.16 when Paul said to him, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. What was going on in the background of Timothy's life, in in the background of Timothy's ministry? Keep a close watch on yourself Because in that same paragraph, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise you because you are young. Don't let them diss you because of your... That's not a Bible word, by the way. Don't let them diss you because of your youthfulness. You know, how did this guy get the job to be the pastor of the biggest church uh, around? He's, He's a kid. He's youthful. What was the answer to that? Paul said, you be an example, and, and, and by God's grace and by God's power, be a lights-out example of a pure and holy life. And what they'll, what they'll say about you, and this is parenthesis that's also not in the Bible, they'll say he's mature beyond his years. Have you heard that before? Love to meet, I love to meet people like that, especially young men, who are thinking straight, trusting God, and saying, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. Those that are not just stuck on themselves, but caring about other people. I think when God says, take heed to yourself, because of your youth, your example is absolutely crucial. Taking heed to yourself is not becoming the best person that you can, the best edition of yourself. That's kind of short-sighted. No. The best that God wants you to be. Take heed to yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't be a phony. Don't be a hypocrite. Believe what you preach and by God's grace live it out. Because he had what? He had criticism. He had, uh, actually the word is despise. Don't let anybody despise you because of your, look down on you. There were people in that church who looked down on him. That's one thing he was dealing with. The other thing was what, take heed to the doctrine. When Paul met with the the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he warned them in in a prophetic statement that when I leave, and he left at the end of that chapter, Wolves will come in, and uh, those wolves would uh, scatter, and I'm going to read it because uh, I can't remember it. 
From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He referred to them as, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he had the criticism of those who looked down upon him because he was young. He also had the direct opposition of those who twisted the truth and tried to draw away the disciples from the faith. So that's what he's up against. And as I understand the context of both epistles, that's what he was afraid of. That's what he was afraid about. That's what he was timid about. If somebody thinks you're too young, maybe you'll end up believing that. (laughs) And, And say, well, I can't do what God has called me to do. I'm too young. Just been reading in the book of Exodus, and I'm just, I didn't laugh. I used to laugh at Moses. What's the matter with you, dude? You just saw the burning bush. You ought to go anywhere, do anything for the one who talked to you out of a bush that didn't burn up and said, I am has sent you. But he said, oh, Lord, I'm not really good speaking, and Lord, I'm too this, I'm too that. He could have easily said, I'm too young. I think I'll quit, and I'll go sell sandals. That's reality. Fear. Timidity. And then the opposition Do I have what it takes to answer that opposition, to teach the truth the way it ought to be taught? I'm saying that's the reality of his life as the the pastor of what I would call a big church. Some people think that, well, people are pastoring. He's a pastor of a big church. Everything must be just cool. He, He what? He farms it out to all the other associates. And he just hangs out and prepares They have no idea what it means to what? To have a heart for your flock. To care for them. To love them. To nurture them. To teach them. All that being said, keep a close watch on your teaching because false doctrine has invaded the church. 1 Timothy 1.3 picks up on that. And I need to say it because I don't want to leave you in Acts chapter... 20. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, as I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And when you're charging someone, you're getting in their face and saying, how dare you teach that? That's twisted. That draws people away from the truth. I assume that most of you, if not all of you, are sitting where you're sitting today because you want to hear from God's word. Thus says the Lord. No ifs, ands, or buts. Charge them. They devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith What is he saying? I want you to preach so people understand that what they hear is part of their stewardship of life. You're not just hearers of the word, but you're doers of it. Both of these issues focused in the... I looked at it as those those issues focused on the fear of man. You You may be familiar with that verse from Proverbs 29, the fear of man casts a snare. The fear of criticism and opposition... The fear of criticism is to be met by what? By an example that is uh, unassailable. The fear of opposition is a direct charge not to teach 
any different doctrine than that which God has given to us. Now, you thought I'd never get to the passage. Here it is. We're going to read it and draw some things out that I trust by God's grace will instruct us, encourage us to face our fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Before we read it, this is not a pop quiz. Notice, observe, something's repeated in here. So I don't have a lollipop for someone who can give me the right answer. But look at it. Sometimes we read the Bible like, well, that's a book that we can't understand. Is your Bible in English and the languages you can understand? Observe it. Look at it. See what's repeated. <laughs> Let me read it for you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and of self-control. What's the repeated concept? Uh, don't be afraid. I, I won't. What's repeated? Remember. 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 I'm convinced that faith is fueled by remembering. Fear is fueled by forgetting. Forgetting. The repetition of remembering or being reminded, five verses that I read, and it, it appears four times. I remember you. I remember your tears. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I remind you to fan into flame the, the, the gift of God. You say, what, what's that all about? How could Timothy, you and you and I, face and overcome our fear by remembering and being reminded? And then the obvious question is, what? Of what, what should we remember and of what should we be reminded? Because when we fear... When we fear, when we're living by fear, where our concentration is on what is against us and what is around us, when we live by faith, our concentration and focus is on who is within us. Did you hear that? When we fear, we forget. We forget who lives within us. We magnify what's going on around us or what is against us. We magnify the opposition. It's like getting into a basketball game and your tallest man is six foot two and their shortest man is six foot three. My high school team, I didn't play on the team, was I wasn't good enough to play on the team, but when I was a sophomore in high school, our our team 
went undefeated in the regular season, finished fourth in the city of New York, and beat a team in the city playoffs whose smallest player was 6'3", our biggest player was 6'2". And we won. We didn't give up. It was tight. It was close. I couldn't believe when I heard the score. But sometimes we throw in a towel and we give up and say, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. Why? Because we fail to remember who's within us. What did Paul remind Timothy about that helped him overcome his fear and can help us do the same? The first thing he reminded him of in verses 3 and 4 is that Timothy, Paul reminded Timothy that he was loved and valued. You say, really? Yeah. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Somebody else came up to me before the service today and said, I see you're preaching today. I'm praying for you. He prayed for him what? Night and day. And I remember your tears. I long to see you. That I may be filled with joy. I don't know if you have anybody in your life quite like that. I'm sure I have people in my life who pray for me. And when my mom died, Linda and I looked at each other. She said to me, you are now officially an orphan because your dad and your mom are dead. And then we almost said it in unison. Who's going to pray for us like mom prayed for us? Night and day. Call my mom and she'd say, what's the matter? I said, what do you mean, Ma? She said, something's bothering me. What's going on? That's somebody who prays for you. I remember you're constantly in my prayers. Would you be fearful if you knew that someone was constantly praying for you? Would you? Me, since I'm, uh, I'm, I don't have anything to worry about, I'll probably think of something to worry about. I don't know what it is for you, but if somebody says that to me, those words are golden. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What disturbs me at times, and you say, well, you're a pastor for X number of years, what disturbed you? Some stuff I just kind of let it roll. Every once in a while, I'd get a call and say, you didn't come to visit me in the hospital. You know what my answer was? Most of the time was, I didn't know you were in the hospital. Well, I thought you would know. I had to bite my tongue and say, I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. I didn't know you were in the hospital, and how would I know unless you would tell me or someone would tell me? Sometimes we cut off what God wants to do in our lives because we don't share our burden, our need with someone else or someone's else. And you may have your feelings about this. I'm not out to hurt anybody's feelings, but I, if I've got a problem and I want the body of Christ to pray for me, I can't get on the prayer chain fast enough. Just say, pray for me. Pray for me. Here's a guy who prayed night and day for his spiritual son. No one can bear that burden that you are bearing unless you share it with them in some way. Pray for me. 
I remember your tears. These are probably referring to the, the crying that went on when Paul left Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 37. They fell on his neck, they wept, and they kissed him, knowing that they would not see his face any longer in the flesh. You say, I don't know if this is possible to have somebody pray for me night and day. Look, I'll, I'll share a prayer request with anybody who's got ears to hear, and would you pray for me, would you remember me? But there is one, isn't there? Isn't there? That prays for you nonstop. He ever lives to make intercession for you. So when you're alone, when you're down, when you think nobody cares, when maybe there are folks that are praying for you but you don't believe it's going to do you any good, you need to remember, as I need to remember, that there's someone who prays for you 24-7. I don't understand it. Sometimes I say to the Lord, I don't know how you keep up with all you keep up with. But Jesus says what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. The concentration is not on our opposition, our challenge, our need, our burden. The concentration is that I've got someone who lives within me who prays for me all the time. All the time. And you know why he prays for me? He loves me. Sometimes I find that hard to believe. He rejoices over me with singing. I really find that hard to believe. But it's true. It's true. Here's Paul who says, I pray for you night and day and I long to see you. You, you. When you long to see somebody, you love them. Uh, it's, it's an hour and a half until lunchtime anyway. I'm, I'm not going to go that long. Don't worry. But I, I couldn't help but remember when I was selling books, earning my way through seminary, I was engaged in May of 1968. I saw my wife-to-be for two days in the middle of the summer. She lived in Texas. I was in Canton, Ohio, selling books day in, day out, 75 to 80 hours a week, making money to get through school and to get married. After I delivered my last book in early September, it was like 9 o'clock at night. So what did I do? I longed to see her. I drove all night. And if you know me, I can't find my way around the, around the block. But I found my way to, to the Poconos, to the family house uh, by, uh, on, on the Delaware River. Woke everybody up at 7 a.m. Why? Because I longed to see her. I longed to see her. That's the relationship that he had with this guy, this son in the faith. I longed to see you. He says at the end of 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 9, come see me soon. He's coming to the end of his days. But what did God say? Paul reminded Timothy that he was loved and valued. You are loved and valued. You think, you think I'm alone in this. I know what he cares about. You've got someone who prays for you all the time. That kind of perfect love, I struggle a little bit in my taking this out of context, but I'm taking the statement from 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. Paul reminded Timothy of his spiritual heritage, of his spiritual legacy. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, 
that dwelt, and I, I emphasize that word in my thinking, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. This faith was not just something that was, uh, I believe, this, 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 check, 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 I check all the boxes. This is a faith that dwelled in them. And he said, I, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great to somebody to say to you, I am sure, I am absolutely positive that that faith dwells in you too. Now, his spiritual heritage was through a grandmother and a mother who loved Jesus and who walked by faith. You may say, I don't have a family like that. I don't have an earthly family like that. But you got this family. You got this one. And if you don't get to know folks who've walked further along with God than you have, you're not wise. Because you can learn not just from their mistakes, but you can learn from their what? Their victories. You can learn what it's like that when you trust God, he does not let you down. He provides for you. He goes before you. He makes you wait because if you did what you wanted to do, you would have been deeper trouble than you already were. No. Faith is something that dwells in you. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, verse 7. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. You trusted him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You trusted him to give you what you knew you did not deserve and could never earn, and that was the gift of eternal life. You believed him. You trusted him. And God says that's the same kind of faith and trust you need to live the next step of your life. You're trusting someone who not only died on the cross and was raised again from the dead, but you're trusting one who came to live within you because you received him. And that's where he is. Paul reminded Timothy of his spiritual heritage. Your legacy of faith is something that you ought to bless God for and take advantage of. He was saying, hey, the same kind of faith I saw in your mom and your grandma, I see it in you. It's in there. It's in there. Walk by means of that faith. Trust Jesus for the next step. You trust Jesus for your salvation. Trust him to sustain you, to lead you, to encourage you, to bless you, to equip you, to use you. Paul also reminded Timothy that God gave him a gift. One of my uh, friends from years past, who's now in heaven, Roy Sainer, sent an email to me when, I, when he was 92. I, I can't remember how many years ago that was, but he said, Dick, if you got a pulse, you got a purpose. 92. So I made, I, I either saw, next time I saw him or I called him, I said, hey, Roy, what's your purpose? I'm not going to tell you what his purpose was, but he could enumerate it. This is why God has left me here. I don't know about you, but when I think about spiritual gifts, I think about the judgment seat of Christ. That is a judgment seat of evaluation. It is not a judgment seat of, and it's for believers, and it's not a judgment seat of condemnation. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I imagine I'm sitting across the table from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one to whom God has committed judgment, and that's the Son. And he'll say, Dick, what did you do with the gift I gave you? And it will probably be quiet for a while. And again, I don't know how he's going to do it. Don't, you know, go, don't tell 
people when you leave here that our preacher knows what it's like to sit across from Jesus at the, the table of a judgment. No, no, no. I, I just imagine. And I have to have an answer. What, am I, what have I done? Because part of what the gift is is your purpose in life. Why did he leave you here? You don't have all the gifts. Only Jesus has all the gifts. Only Jesus is perfect. But if everybody in the body of Christ knew and understood and was developing their spiritual gifts, and this is something that is a process, what is the result? People see Jesus. They see Jesus. In all of his what? All of his multifaceted grace demonstrated through the exercise of spiritual gifts. I say that because Paul reminded of him that he got a, get a, get, got a, had a gift and he said, I want you to fan it into flame. I want you to keep the fires burning. When you're against opposition, when you are not thinking properly about yourself, thinking of yourself not more highly than you ought to think, but thinking of yourself more lowly than you ought to think, it's very easy for you to say, well, I don't really have any gifts at all. Oh, yes, you do. God says he's given you a gift for the common good of the body of Christ. He's given you a gift of which you are a steward, according to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. What do stewards do? They're managers and they give an account of what was given to them. He said, use that gift in spite of criticism, in spite of opposition. That gift was given to you by proclamation. By prophetic message, confirmed by the laying on of hands, use it for the common good and use it as a good steward. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was an activist. I I still haven't understood that all the time. Most people I hear about who are quote-unquote political activists don't really do anything that that help people today. (laughs) I'm not prejudging, I'm just saying I don't understand it. It says of Jesus in Acts 10, 30, 20, 20, 38, 10, 38, 10, 38, he said he went about doing good. He did. And what God has given you as a gift or gifts, he says, I intend that you will go about doing good. You say, well, we don't get to heaven by doing good. I know that. You know that. The Bible's clear on that. But if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to go about doing good because if Jesus is in you, Right? And you do good, you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. (laughs) You think he wants you to go about doing bad? No, he wants you to go about doing good. Good is a word that means that which is beneficial to others. Do good. Do good. Use your gift. In the church, outside the body, I, I don't know how God will use that in your life. But he said to him, you, you want to overcome fear? You want to face your fear? Then use your gift. Getting back to selling books, they always used to tell us when you get no, 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 and you're afraid to knock on the next door, they would always tell us action cures fear. Knock on the door. Do it. Do it. Do it. Use your gift. Use your gift. Use your gift. I don't care what the opposition is. I don't care what the circumstances are. Use your gift to the benefit and blessing of others. It's Jesus living his life in and through you. 
Lastly, Paul reminded Timothy that he had supernatural resources. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. We could spend a lot of time in each of those, but we won't. But he said not of fear. The best the translation of that particular word used, uh, translated fear is cowardice. Cowardice. You say, well, what is, what is a coward? We think of a coward who runs from doing the thing that he's supposed to be doing, and that's partially what this word means. Cowardice or timidity. Cowardice is lack of courage or firmness of purpose. Cowardice is being too afraid to do what is right or expected. I think I was born a coward and have continued relapses into cowardicity, whatever that means. Just do what God says. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. Get after it. Get after it. He's in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Is he sufficient? Or isn't he? He's given us a spirit of power. And that one is a great thought that We can say, I can't do that. God says you can for what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the thing that you're fearful of or afraid of or won't do, God says, I'll give you the strength to do it because Jesus lives within you. I've given you a spirit of love. We love because he first loved us. We love him, we love others. There's no, there's no love that we have that didn't come to us through God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And love is that which sacrifices for others. It's not self-centered. It's not about me. It's about you and your need, and I want God's best for you. You have people in your life. I have people in my life that are difficult to love. That doesn't change the fact that God says, I've given you a spirit of love a spirit of self-sacrifice, a spirit of giving, not expecting anything in return. He says, I've also given you a spirit of self-control, a spirit of, 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 of discipline. He said, well, some people are just disciplined and some are not. What if Jesus was undisciplined? What if he was undisciplined? He said, ah. Shoot, I, I've been laboring for three, three years and, and there's a cross in front of me and, and I, I'm just not up to it. I, can't, I, I quit. I'm done. When the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author, and what? The perfecter, the completer of our faith. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And what, did, what does God expect of us? Do the same. If you follow Jesus... In some way or in some ways, it's going to cost you. And that's why some people won't follow it. It's going to cost them. It's a life that is not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. And what does he want to do? Simply, marvelously, he wants to live his life in you and through you. And he's given you the supernatural resources to do it if you what? If I what? If we will submit ourselves to his lordship and what? What? 
experience our own weakness and say, Lord, without your strength, I'm done. Experience as well the fact that uh, most of the time I care more about me than I do about other people, and Jesus says, I need to fix that. Let, let me love that person through you. And then, ah, I feel like really being lazy. I feel like packing it in. I don't want to face this anymore. The Lord says, looking unto Jesus, endured the cross, despised the shame. You're his disciple. Then you live a disciplined life. What? As you obey me. The indwelling coach (laughs) who directs our lives. You face fear by remembering. Don't forget that. Because what? Fear forgets. Fear forgets. Following Jesus remembers. It remembers that you are loved and valued. You've got a Savior who prays for you 24-7. You have a spiritual legacy. And faith dwells within you. Faith is not just receiving Christ, it's walking with him. And it's the same faith that received him that has to trust day by day, step by step. You are gifted and Christ lives in you and through you to what? To use that gift, to celebrate that gift, to develop that gift and to use that gift to bless others. And that remember that your resources are supernatural Sometimes you say, well, I can't do that, Lord. If I was like so-and-so, I could do that. If God's asking you to do it, do you think he's going to call you to do something that you can't do with the resources that he makes available to you? They're also in you. Is that not true? I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. I can't love that person. You can love that person through me as you see them the way I see them. Oh, Lord, I'm too up and down. I can give you that grace and strength and even that desire to walk with me and not not veer off, not turn back, not quit in despair, but to endure by the grace of God. I... uh, End with this. Timidity is lack of courage or confidence. I think we all struggle with that. Timidity or fear paralyzes us. It paralyzes us. It paralyzes us because we can we concern ourselves with what's against us or what's going on around us, and you you don't have to live. Two minutes in the world in which we live and not have something to worry about if you focus on that. Timidity paralyzes us. Remembering mobilizes us. It moves us because what? We understand and we realize who is within us to face that fear. You go the way of timidity, you end up... uh, As Paul said in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1, 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his minister, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's all by the power of God. But timidity will lead you to to shame, to shame. I'm reminded of a word in 2 John or in 1 John 2 that says some will be ashamed at his coming. It doesn't say they're going to miss his coming, but they're going to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. You don't want to be ashamed. You want to be welcomed. (laughs) Be welcomed to say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Remember, remembering mobilizes us because the focus is on who is in us and within us rather than what's going on around us. Christ in you, faith, gift, and a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of a sound, disciplined, self-controlled mind. we got plenty to chew on, plenty to think about, but that's truth that God wants you to experience today and tomorrow, each day, each week. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. You treasure us. And Jesus prays for us 24 hours a day. We thank you, Father, for uh, your, your truth that says we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. And our walk with you is the same way. It's by faith, a step at a time, trusting you, obeying you. You've given us gifts to serve. You've given us ability. And we pray that we won't waste it. We will discover it, develop it, and use it. Father, as well, we thank you for the supernatural resources you've put within us in the person of our, of our indwelling Savior. Power and ability, love and compassion, and discipline and self-control. Thank you for being with us, for using us, in, in, in many times putting up with us. But Father, never backing off what you desire for us and that, that we might, that we might re, re, not just resemble but reflect the glory of our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.